and if we've yet to meet, my name is Matthew. I'm the lead pastor here at Anchor Lincoln. And as Tina mentioned so eloquently, we are a community of G- imperfect Jesus followers living for Tacoma and the greater South Sound. And for us, that starts right here in the Lincoln District. And so we would love, if you're new here, we would love for you to fill out one of those connection cards because we'd love for you to find community here in the Lincoln District. And as Ty mentioned, we have a new series coming up next week. It's going to be a four-part series on what real religion looks like. We initially wanted to call it true religion, but for... You know, it's already been taken and hyped up, you know, so we thought it might distract. And so real religion, we're trying to figure out what does real religion look like. And so join us back for that. Now, you may know this. I'm assuming you already do. If not, uh, you've been living under a rock like ye old Patrick Starr. But today is the biggest day in human history. Is that an exaggeration? I don't think so. It is Resurrection Day. Today is Resurrection Day. We are convinced that this is, in fact, the biggest, most important day in human history because without the resurrection, we would not be here today. We would not be here today. Without the resurrection, we would not have experienced the freedom that we've experienced Without the resurrection, we would not be here today. And so throughout church history, we have celebrated annually this momentous day. And in various parts throughout the church, there's been a call and response that's been recited, you may know this, uh, on this date in celebration of it. It goes like this, the leader would say, he is risen, and the people would say, he is risen indeed. So let's do that a few times. He is risen Oh, man, you guys got to say it like you mean it. He is risen. He is risen say it like he died for your sins. He is risen. He is risen. Let's go. Now, some of you, let's be honest. <laughs> some of you uh, didn't find joy in that. <laughs> and it's not just because you're an introvert and you're like, don't force me to speak. Do not force me to speak. But it's because you're unconvinced of what you just said, if you said it at all. Maybe it doesn't spark joy in you. Maybe uh, you don't even prescribe to the faith or know where you land with Jesus yet. And so saying that, if you did, felt fake, forced, maybe. And it's understandable. It's understandable because likely you're coming in here with some stuff. Likely there's something that's holding you back from saying and proclaiming that he is risen. It might be doubt. It might be sorrow. It might be fear. God only knows, but I have good news for you this morning. Wherever you're at, I've got good news for you. Jesus wants to meet you there. Jesus wants to meet you right there. In the midst of your joy and in the midst of your sorrow, he wants to meet you there. In the midst of your confidence and in the midst of your fear, he wants to meet you there. In the midst of your trust and in the midst of your doubt, he wants to meet you right there. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, well, isn't that quite a fuzzy thought? It's cute. He meets me here. Prove it, preacher. And that's just what I intend to do this morning. Over the next 15 minutes, I'm here and I intend to prove to you that no matter where you're at, Jesus wants to meet you there because we've seen him do it time and time again throughout scripture. 
So if you will, open your Bibles to John chapter 20. As you're turning there, let me paint the scene. Jesus had been crucified that Friday. It is now Sunday early morning. Before the sun would rise, Mary Magdalene, she was there at the crucifixion, and now she's here two days later. Before the sun would rise, she would be at the tomb. And as she was going and nearing the tomb, and as she got closer and closer because of how dark it was, she was shocked to find that the stone had been rolled away. Now, her first thought wasn't, he is resurrected, he is risen, it's someone had stolen his body. And so she runs back to the disciples, and she gets some of Jesus' closest disciples. You may have heard of them, Peter and John. And Peter and John sprint to the tomb, and as John tells us in his gospel, he was there first, and he was also the most loved disciple of all time, his words, not mine. And he makes it to the tomb, and Peter catches up, a little winded. He was a few years older, a few pounds heavier. And they find the linens empty. They find the tunic folded, and they saw and believed, Scripture says. They saw and believed. It also says, yet they did not understand the Scriptures. They did not understand why, but they saw and believed that Jesus had been risen. And after a while goes by, they leave, but one remains at the tomb. One remains at the tomb. Read with me. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, as many do, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. See, Mary was overwhelmed with sorrow. She was overwhelmed with sorrow. She did not have the faith to believe what John and Peter had believed. She did not receive John and Peter's faith that the Lord had been risen. She was still overwhelmed, weeping at the tomb in sorrow. Why? She deeply loved Jesus. If you know anything about Mary Magdalene, if you're looking for a transformation story, look no further. She, was, she had been uh, uh, demonized by seven demons, and then Jesus came along into her life, freed her of the demonic, and didn't just free her, but he also invited her into his life, into his world. She would be one of his followers, which at the time was uncommon. And so not only did Jesus give her freedom, but he gave her purpose and worth. You are not your past, Mary. There's something better for you. She had seen him crucified, this Lord of hers, this this Messiah, and she had seen him buried, and now she's sitting here, can't see, not able to see reality because her vision was clouded by grief. This is where we find Mary, still at the tomb. It's funny. Uh, She didn't even trust the angels. You would think if you saw angels, oh, something's going down. Usually when you see angels... Something has happened, right? (laughs) 
They don't just show up, right? Something big had happened. But nonetheless, she did not believe. Her ability to believe was clouded by grief. You know, I love how Jesus, I love how the resurrected Jesus hits the scene. He doesn't hit the scene like many of us would, right? He doesn't hit the scene with fireworks, flash mobs, or funfetti cake. He doesn't stroll down from the heavens in a Maybach chariot with a fleet of angels, hop up on my bed, turn my swag on, right? Some of us, some of us, right? Guess who's back? <laughs> back again. Christ is back. <laughs> Tell a friend, right? <laughs> he, does, he doesn't return like many of us would return, does he? He doesn't show up in front of Mary in all his glory and eminence. Look at me, behold. I mean, some of us would do that, right? Which is why it's a good thing we're not Jesus. <laughs> but he doesn't. He doesn't uh, reveal himself to Mary in all of his glory and power. But he reveals himself to Mary intimately. He reveals himself to Mary relationally. He reveals himself to Mary with a word, a word that would transform her life, a word that would shift her whole perspective. This is what we read the word is. Jesus said to her, Mary. What is the word that Jesus chooses to reveal himself with to Mary? Her name. Mary. Mary. In the midst of her sorrow, Jesus calls her name. He meets her in the sorrow and calls her name. He does not say, hey, woman, over here. Yeah, yeah, stiffen your upper lip. What do you think you're doing crying so much? Why don't you believe John and Peter or the angels? What's going on? Pull yourself together, woman. He says, Mary, Mary, what has you steeped in sorrow today? What is it that's overwhelming you with grief? Is it a divorce? A loss of a loved one? Is it a loss of a job, a career? What is it that is leaving you in the midst of sorrow, unable to see the reality of the risen Lord? Well, I've got good news for you this morning. He wants to meet you right there. He's not asking you to fix yourself, sort yourself out, wipe away the tears and the snot, get your act together and let's go. He's meeting you right there. You see, Jesus meets us in our sorrow. Jesus, he meets us in our sorrow. And he wants to do just that in your life. All he asks in return is a response. All he asks in return is our response. So we see that Jesus in the life of Mary Magdalene meets us in our sorrow. Where else does he meet us? See, the disciples, Peter and John, had returned back to the disciples' den, uh, their spot, and this is what we read. Although they have seen and believed, we read this, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, the disciples were overcome with fear. The disciples were overcome with fear. They feared the Jewish leaders who had unjustly murdered the Messiah. They feared for their lives. Even though they had seen the resurrected Lord and believed, uh, they, they feared for their life. What are we going to do? How are we going to survive this? What's going to come of us, our family, and our loved ones? 
Do we have to flee town? Do we have to go and hide? Let's just lock the door, close the blinds, blow out the candles, and maybe, just maybe, if we're quiet enough, the Jewish leaders won't see us. They won't find us. I imagine there was more fear in their lives than just that. What are we going to do from here? I imagine there was the fear of, what have I done? (laughs) I just gave my last three years to this dude, and now, where is he? What do we do now? We don't have any guidance. Fear of what's going to come of them. The ways that they wasted the past three years. They must have been steeped in fear. Could you imagine giving your life to someone? Giving your life to someone who meant the world to you, who was, who was revolutionary in your life, that changed your perspectives on things, that gave you a deep sense of worth and purpose, and they just are gone like that? I'm, I'm assuming you can. I'm assuming you know what that feels like to lose somebody who meant so much to you. And so as a result of their fear, they locked themselves away from the world. They locked themselves away from those around us. Now, I have a question for you this morning. What has you, what fear is it that has you locking yourself away from the world? What is that fear? What is that fear that's holding you back? Fear of loving again? Fear of being found out (laughs) for who you truly are? Fear of putting yourself out there? Fear of trusting again? Fear of fully committing yourself to Jesus and his ways? What is the fear that has kept you locked away? Padlocks on your door. What is that fear? Now, I don't know about you, but at times it seems impossible when that fear is wreaking havoc on our lives to step away from our hideaways and to meet Jesus. How can I meet Jesus? Jesus, don't you understand what's going on in our political system? Jesus, don't you understand what's going on with our climate? Jesus, don't you understand the social instability? Jesus, don't you understand? I can't go out there. My food rations are in here. I can't. But here's what Jesus does not do. Jesus does not pound on our door. He didn't pound on the disciples' door. Jesus did not throw stones yelling at the disciples to come out from their fortress of fear. That's not what we see Jesus do. No, this is what we see from Jesus. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands inside The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. The doors are locked and Jesus appears to them. He just appears in the midst of their fear, in the midst of their little fortress. He just appears. He doesn't even pick the locks. He doesn't even throw a stone through the window and hop through. He just appears. He does the same for us. Jesus meets us in our fear. Jesus meets you in your fear. Jesus does not care about the locks on your door. Jesus does not care about the blinds on your windows. Jesus does not care that the lights are out. He meets you there. You don't have to sort yourself up. You don't have to gain the confidence. You don't have to convince yourself to stop being so scared of reality. 
Jesus wants to meet you there and go with you to unlock the doors. He's not going to do it for you. He's going to empower you through his presence to do it alongside him. But he's not asking you to find your way out of that house, out of your fear, on your own accord. He meets you in your fear. Listen, if you're coming into here this morning and you've got fear that's wreaking havoc on your life, Jesus, he wants to free you from it. He wants to free you from it. And not by putting on a front, not by faking it till you make it, not by showing up here and saying, yo, how are you doing? I'm blessed and highly favored, sir. I don't know what you want from me. I'm feeling great. No problems here. He wants you to be honest and to receive his presence and to move forward. So we see that he meets us in sorrow. We see that he meets us in fear. Where else does Jesus want to meet us? Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus or on the block T. Diddy, Like P. Diddy, for those of you who didn't catch it. That's a good one. That's a good one. One of the 12 <laughs> was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas will not believe. He just struggled to trust the other disciples, which I don't quite understand because he had just gotten done living three years with them. You would think he would trust them at their word. Okay, you guys saw this Jesus. Mary Magdalene saw this Jesus. I mean, I guess I should believe, but he doesn't. And we don't really know why he doesn't believe. We're not certain. Could it have been that he was a realist? Listen, you guys, dead people don't get back up. They just don't. (laughs) It's science. Could it have been that he was attempting to escape the pain of what just happened? I can't even entertain the thought of him returning because if I'm wrong, it will wreck me. So I'm going to just put that over there and continue on with my life. Could it have been one of those or could it have been something else? You see, oftentimes when we think about doubt, it's just, hey, listen, you doubt the, 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 the existence of God. You doubt Jesus. That's where the doubt stems. But could it have been? that Thomas doubted Jesus's mode of operation. Could it have been that Thomas doubted the way that Jesus decided to return? That's oftentimes where our doubt stems, isn't it? It's conditional doubt. If, Thomas says, (laughs) the risen Lord appears to me and allows me to touch his wounds, then I will believe. If, then. If then. Sound familiar? If Jesus appears to me like this, if he condones this, if he accepts my truth, if he accepts me for the way I want to be me, then I will believe. (laughs) Sound familiar, doesn't it? It's conditional doubt. Now, we're not sure what type of doubt he had, but we do know one thing's for certain. He had a measure of it. And so listen to how Jesus decides to reveal himself to him. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked again, Jesus doesn't care about your locks, unless they're like on your head, because then he thinks they're dope. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. 
Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus meets Thomas exactly where he was, in his doubt. In his doubt, Jesus meets him. Listen, Jesus was unfazed by Thomas's questions. He was unfazed. And he's unfazed by yours. Jesus is unfazed by your questions. He's not asking you to have it all figured out. He's not asking you to have answers to every single question. That's not what he's asking. He's asking for your trust, to lead with trust. Jesus meets us in our doubt. I have a friend who has recently come back to faith. I remember having a conversation with him, and he said, listen, Matt, I don't necessarily know if I believe everything I'm reading, but I've committed myself. I'm committing myself to reading his word. And when I stumble upon something that I don't quite understand or believe, I'm going to put that on a shelf. This isn't ignorance. I'm going to come back to that. But I'm going to lead with trust. I'm going to lead with the belief that Jesus's ways are higher than my own. And so he's been pursuing Christ. And it's been amazing to see the transformation that's gone on in his life since leading with trust. You don't have to have it all sorted out. You've got questions, welcome to the club. (laughs) We all do, pastors do. We're all wrestling through it. Listen, here's the thing. Jesus does not want you to answer every question and then come to him. No, he wants to meet you where you're at in your doubt, and he wants to commission you and empower you and be present with you along this journey. And as you lead with trust, so does your assurance grow. And as your assurance grows, you have strength and confidence as you wrestle with God, because we're going to do it. We're going to wrestle with God. God, why did I lose that person? God, why did I lose that promotion? God, why is my life like this? Why do I look like this? God, why don't I have hair? (laughs) Why? (laughs) And he's there. Trust me, I'm not going to get emotional right now, but he's there. Okay? Dear God. (laughs) Listen, we don't come to the cross with everything sorted out. We go from the cross, sorting it out alongside Jesus. He meets us where we're at. You see, Jesus wants to meet you in your sorrow, in your pain, and in your grief. Jesus wants to meet you in your fear. And Jesus, he wants to meet you in your doubt. That's good news, isn't it? That Jesus wants to meet you exactly where you are. But I've got better news. You're like, how could it get better? Well, for three easy installments of 1995, (laughs) see Ami on the way out, you get a free sham wow. I know, right? How does it get better? Here's how it gets better. Jesus does not intend to leave us where he meets us. Jesus does not intend to leave you where he met you. Jesus is in the business of full-on transformation. Don't trust me, he transformed Mary. He did not leave Mary in her sorrow, but commissioned her to be the first one to proclaim the resurrected Lord. What an honor. 
Jesus did not leave the disciples there in their fear, but he unlocked their door and commissioned them, empowering them with the Holy Spirit to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth being his hands and feet and building his church. He did not leave Thomas in Thomas's doubt, no, but he sent him as far as India, proclaiming the gospel. Jesus does not intend to leave us where he meets us. He wants to transform us. Now listen, I need to encourage you this morning that Jesus is with you in the midst of wherever you're at. Jesus is with you. Do you hear that? Listen, do you hear it? It's him calling your name. Do you sense that? It's his presence in the room. Do you feel that? His wounds that he gained on your behalf. Jesus wants to meet you where you're at. Now, some of you have come into this place this morning far from Jesus, doubting that Jesus could actually love somebody like you, imperfect as you are. (laughs) I want to ensure you of one thing. This is an imperfect community (laughs) serving a perfect God. So you're in good company because we're all trifling our way to Christ. (laughs) All of us. Jesus does not need you to shape yourself up. He wants to meet you where you're at. And so if that's what's been holding you back from committing your life to Christ, from putting your trust in Christ, I want to give you a few opportunities. The first is this. This morning, this morning, respond to him. You don't have to have it all figured out. We'll walk with you. That's our greatest joy, to walk with you. And so if that's you this morning, you want to say yes to Jesus, not knowing what it means all the way. I'd love to meet you in the back. We've got other team members. We've got Annie. We've got Tina. We've got Pastor Ami back there waiting to talk with you about what that would look like. And the second thing that I would like to to, uh, give you, and this extends to everyone else, is to join us here next week. Join us here next week as we begin to discuss what real religion looks like. This will answer some of your questions and it'll give you a framework as you step into this with everything that you are, knowing that Jesus is stepping into us. He is giving us, he is giving us his presence with everything that he is, amen? God, we thank you. We thank you for your resurrection. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the purpose that you have given us. We thank you that no darkness that we find ourselves sitting within is too dark for your light. The darkness only prevailed over the light on one day and it only lasted for two. So Lord, we just pray that you would meet us where we're at. Lord, would your presence be palpable in our lives? Lord, we receive that. In your mighty name, Jesus.